Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. We're in a treat for Philippians 2. You're also in a treat because I get to invite my best friend, my co-pastor, the Banana Republic to my Under Armour, the taller, skinnier version. We're here, we're here. Tyler Cherneski, as he teaches us about Philippians 2. Love it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. We are so, so glad you're here. Uh, I am Tyler. If I haven't met you already, let's do it once we're done. Um, It is a privilege to be here, and we are so glad that you're with us this morning in the Cincinnati Shakespeare Theater, and we really hope you like it here because it is my joy to announce that this is now the permanent home for our preview services. So this was move-in day, uh, you know, so that's why if you saw the U-Haul outside, uh, we brought all our things in here, but that means we'll be here next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that, and we could not be happier because this space has this beautiful room, right, where we can gather for worship. There's a whole room upstairs, if you haven't seen it, where our kiddos can play. It's safe, it's huge, it's clean, it has big windows. The lobby is stunning, Uh, the bathrooms are super clean, and they are letting us leave our items here week after week, which means no more U-Haul, come on. Yeah, as much as I love Queen City storage, uh, it'll be great to turn those keys in. So we are awesome and filled with joy and really happy Uh, to be in this space where we can settle into a sustainable rhythm for our little church that could. And on a personal level, I have to be quite honest, I uh, am really thrilled that this is our permanent home for preview services because I was, maybe I am, I don't know how you say this, I was, I am, a theater kid. uh, A theater kid, and I know that might be surprising. So many folks look at me and they're like, you know, he had to play football in high school or like wrestle in college. And I get it, I get it, Um, but that's just the lights. They make you look bigger than you really are. Uh, I was a theater kid. I spent my adolescence in makeup on stage. And because we're still getting to know each other, I thought it might be fun to take you on a quick tour through some of my greatest, most acclaimed theatrical roles, because there have been many. Uh, In seventh grade, I starred as the Scarecrow in Maple Creek Middle School's production of The Wizard of Oz, and that performance was particularly memorable because I fell off the front of the stage uh, while I was singing about how much I needed a brain. You know, it's like, if I only had a brain, oh, there you go. Um, But the fall did not stop me from going on for the second half of the show, and it didn't stop me from auditioning for future shows. I was uh, King Peter in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I was Linus and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. I was a Theodore Lawrence III. He's like the crush, the boy next door. And does anyone know the show? Lori, he's sometimes called. Little Women, okay, maybe. I don't know if someone said that, but Little Women. Uh, I was the boy next door love interest in Little Women. Uh, Still got it. Uh, I was the mysterious man in Into the Woods. And though now I'm retired from stage, I still love listening to and learning from great practitioners and actors and theater professionals. And I'm just fascinated whenever I get a chance to hear about the joys and the challenges of bringing a character to life on stage. And I've learned that to act well, you've got to get out of your own head and into the thoughts and habits 
of another. Uh, that means that acting is no easy task because it takes incredible effort to live out the reality of another. I mean, indeed, Stella Adler, the legendary Broadway actress who created the Adler technique. This is like an acting paradigm that's used by award winners by like De Niro and Martin Sheen. They've all do this. Stella Adler, she said that the actor has to develop his body, the actor has to work on his voice, but the most important thing the actor has to work on is his mind. The most important thing the actor has to work on is his mind. You see, it takes incredible effort to live out the reality of another, and Stella Adler says that the place where that work happens, where that difficult work occurs, is in the mind. And that acting advice that Adler gives, it has echoed through my thoughts as I've studied this morning's text and prepared this message, because this weekend, as we continue in our journey through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, as we go on into week two in this series that we've called Open Handed, we're going to be invited by Paul to embrace a new kind of mindset. Alongside our first century sisters and brothers to whom this letter was addressed, we're going to be invited to take on Christ's mindset, to inhabit his way of thinking, to embrace his practices and habits, to do what he would do if he were us. And just like acting, this task that Paul invites us to, it's no easy task, but it takes incredible effort, but that effort is worth it. It's possible because it's beautiful and it's redemptive and it's always worth it when it's done because Jesus is a person worth following and worth imitating. But I don't just want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it for yourself from the pages of Scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, either in print or digitally, would you join me in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, it's where we're taking off today, and we're going to begin in verse 1. But as you're making your way there, I'll remind you a little bit of what Chris taught us last week. So uh, Chris said that the church in Philippi, if you remember well, it came together when a wealthy businesswoman, a freed slave girl, and a blue-collar worker were drawn together after they experienced Jesus' remarkable love and incredible power in a way that was meaningful to them. So this unique kind of church was drawn together by God's power, and this was a church that Paul loved. Uh, this was a community he was close with, and so he wrote them a letter, a letter that encouraged unity. Um, he wrote them a letter that offered motivation to keep going in the face of challenges and to keep going in their obedience to Jesus. And sincerely, if you missed Chris's introduction to this series, uh, you really owe it to yourself to go back and listen. You can find it at citychurchotr.com slash messages, uh, citychurchotr.com slash messages. You can find our teachings archived there. So as Chris said, Paul implores the church at Philippi to stay united and to continue following Jesus. And then in chapter 2, in verse 1, Paul writes, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Now let's stop right there. Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says, if you've gotten anything out of this Jesus following journey, if it's brought any measure of encouragement or comfort, if it's been good for you at all, 
if you've experienced tenderness and compassion in this faith community like you've never experienced before, if you've been blown away by the love that has come your way, um, then don't stop. Keep going. Make my joy and your joy complete as you keep striving to share more and more of Christ's love with one another. Keep deepening your relationships with God and with one another, becoming united in spirit and in mind. Paul says, don't stop now. Keep up the good work and the hard work of loving each other and serving each other. Now, you see, Paul knows the church in Philippi has grown since he's been there. He knows that the community that he saw started, that it's, it's expanded and increased in size and diversity. There are folks that he's never met in this community, and there are the folks that he knew from way back when in this community. And so he says to all of them, he says, to whatever extent you've experienced Christ's love and good community within this body, the goodness that comes from being gathered around Jesus' teaching and embracing his example, from whatever extent you've experienced that in this community, keep going. Don't settle for just a taste of it. Go all in. And I think Paul gives this exhortation because he knows what we know. Uh, Paul knows that humans so easily grow complacent that we get satisfied, uh, that we become lazy, that we're often willing to settle for second best. Uh, you know, friends, when I lived in Kansas City, I had this beautiful one-bedroom apartment, uh, and I loved this place. It was like my big kid home. You know, you get that nice job. You can start buying furniture. I knew my friend Enkem at West Elm. We were, like, furnishing the whole place top to bottom. I loved this apartment. It had a great living room connected to a little dining area, a kitchen that was the perfect size for one person, bedroom, remodeled bathroom, but the, like, the highlight of this apartment was this massive master um, closet, like this huge, huge, huge closet. It could really be another like bedroom. It was absolutely huge. And when I got into this apartment, I entered with all kinds of plans for how I was gonna make this closet like the rival of all other closets. You know what I mean? Like the best closet people had ever been on. And so I started on the east wall, and I had like everything arranged on these hanging racks. So there's like a long sleeve section, you know, a short sleeve section, a sweater shelf, a shoe cubby. You know, I mean, just everything on the east wall was gorgeous. So it's like you walk in every morning and you just feel like a celebrity, you know, just casually present like, what will I wear today? You know, like it was just all done over on that east wall. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous on one side. And yet, on the other side of the closet, I like needed to build some shelves, you know, because there's like luggage, there's camping gear, there's all the stuff that just accumulates in a big closet in an apartment. And so I said, you know what, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna build some shelves uh, real soon. You know, I got the east wall done, these shelves are coming. And so I don't know what it's like where you work, but in church we have busy seasons. So I moved in January, it's like, okay, I'm gonna build these shelves, but you know, then it's like Easter. And it's like, well, okay, Easter, that's really, really important. We'll wait till after Easter, like let's, you know, we'll get the shelves done. And then, you know, it was summer, and no one wants to do workouts or like in the house when it's beautiful outside, right? So it's like, well, it's summer, you know, there's picnics to go to, there's all this kinds of stuff to see. And then before you know it, it's fall, and fall is when church people plan for Christmas, and then Christmas it gets cold, and then no one wants to do anything but watch TV. And I kid you not, but I moved into this apartment in January of 2016, and when I moved away in August of 2019, you already know the punchline, there were no shelves. There were piles that had moved in there and stayed there for years. And so many times I would say, the shelves, I'll get to the shelves, next week we'll do the shelves, it'll happen. And the, and the point is this, we all grow complacent. We all get satisfied. 
We all become lazy. It happens to all of us. And Paul knew this. We know this from experience. And so he said to the church at Philippi, hey, to whatever extent you've already experienced love and joy and comfort and encouragement from being in this community, uh, keep going. Don't settle. Become more and more united with each other and more and more united with Christ because you'll be glad that you did. But that might beg the question, okay, but, but how, Paul? Well, how do we keep going further and deeper in our quest to follow Jesus and love one another more fully? And, and Paul explains. He says in verse 3, you want to know how? Here's how. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So what does it look like to go deeper, Paul? Well, Paul says, it happens as we move away from our own selfish ambitions and interests and instead consider how we might value others above ourselves. Valuing others above yourself. This is a defining characteristic of Christian living. This was Christ's example. This is what Jesus did while he walked the earth, and it's what his early, earliest followers did too. I mean, from the very beginning, the call to follow Jesus has been a call to value others above yourself. It's always been an invitation to live with humility. Okay, humility. Uh, humility is, in my definition, it's thinking of others first. Right? It's not that you have to think less of yourself, that's self-deprecation, and it's not that you have to never think of yourself, that's self-forgetfulness, there's other philosophies that teach that, but humility in this context, it's thinking of others first. And this is what made Jesus absolutely remarkable. This is why people would leave everything behind to follow him. This is why people were just blown away when they'd meet this new kind of rabbi, because here was someone in authority, here was someone who was a teacher, here was someone who was prominent, but who thought of them first. I mean, Jesus placed the needs of his followers above his own needs. And Paul makes this point very clear. In fact, he emphasizes it in verse 5, saying, hey, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Don't miss that word mindset. We'll come back to that. But Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, at the heart of the Christian message is this astounding assertion that the all-powerful God who made the world entered the world that he made and became part of his creation. I mean, simply put, Christians believe that God became human, fully and completely, holding nothing back. And this sets Christianity apart from every other philosophy and worldview, every other group that might claim to have a true story of the world and how it works and how it was made. I mean, other religions speak of powerful gods, but only Christianity speaks of a God who did not use his power for his own advantage. 
right? But instead emptied himself, entered the world he made, took on a human body, and while he was here as a human, helped those who needed help and honored those who were dishonored and identified those who were frowned upon and became their friend. I mean, think about this. Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, this is a truth at the heart of the Christian message, he allowed himself to be stopped by strangers as he walked the street and was willing to listen to their need and help them. I mean, Jesus, on multiple occasions in the gospel, was willing to alter his own plans to assist desperate people in their time of desperation. I mean, that's remarkable. And on the very night when he was betrayed, before he had his final meal with his best friends, his closest people in the whole world, what did Jesus do? Well, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he washed his friend's feet. I mean, this was the activity of a servant, but Jesus did it without grumbling or complaining. And he certainly did it without asking, just because he knew it needed to be done. And he knew his followers would remember that night. And he wanted them to be crystal clear. But at the heart of his teaching was this call to humility and service towards love and honoring others, that even in his final moments, right, in his last minutes as a free man, he said, I want to do something they'll never forget. I'm going to serve them in a lavish way that they'll be talking about forever. And we still are. I mean, after his arrest, Jesus, he demonstrated one of the greatest acts of humility that the world has ever seen, right? I mean, he endured a trumped-up trial. He took on undue ridicule, and he died on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. I mean, the very God who made the world died for it at the hands of the humans he created. And Paul instructs the first century church, and I think he instructs us as well, to take that as our example. To have the same mindset as Christ, to think of others first. Think of others first, to consider their needs and how we might be of assistance. You know what the remarkable thing is? The first century church did just that. I mean, they boldly and fearlessly followed Jesus' examples and Paul's instructions, uh, acting with incredible humility. I mean, thinking of others first in ways that astounded their contemporaries. What are some of the things they did? I mean, they they, they pooled their resources so that they could help people in need. They said, hey, this extra money that we have, we're going to gather it up and be ready to care for people as needs arise. They opened their homes, um, demonstrating great hospitality and, and inviting others to become, like in a very real sense, part of their family. I mean, eating in their homes as part of their household, saying, no, we, we may look like culturally we need to be enemies. We may not come from the same social class or have the same status, but you eating with me is a sign that we're connected and we're together. I'm going to think of your needs and, and honor them here first. I mean, they cared for unwanted children. They fed those without food. They clothed those without clothes. And in fact, Uh, Doing a little research this week, in the second and third centuries, see if this sounds familiar at all, as various diseases broke out among the Roman Empire, you see where we're going, Uh, early Christians, unlike their pagan neighbors who followed some very selfish gods and had some very self-preserving philosophies, the early Christians served those who were afflicted. In fact, the social historian Rodney Stark documents the many ways that Christians astounded the Roman world by risking their own health and safety to care for individuals who had fallen ill. 
Um, and in fact, Bishop Dionysus of Alexandria, he writes about the Christian response to the epidemic that plagued Rome in the year 260. And his words have been preserved through history, and I'm going to read them now. Just get this. Imagine this. Bishop Dionysus, talking about the Christian response to an early epidemic in Rome in 260, says, most of our brother Christians, so he's saying people in our church, they showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and only thinking of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Wow. I mean, Dionysus tells us that Christ's earliest followers were so convinced by his example and so confident in his bodily resurrection that they took this example of humility seriously. They thought of others first and they sacrificed themselves to care for those who had been abandoned by their families, by their friends, and by their civic leaders. I mean, this is absolutely astounding. And they did it with great joy. And I imagine that they were able to do it because they thought of their savior their hero and their redeemer and friend who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And so they must have had the same mindset as Christ and in humility chose to value others above themselves, not looking to their own interests, but rather to the interests of others. You see, they didn't just say that they believed in Jesus, they followed his example. And it is very easy, friends, to claim the name of Jesus, but it is much, much harder to imitate him. And it is very, very easy to tell someone that Jesus loves them, but it is much, much harder to show it. Uh, it is fairly easy to tell someone that they matter to Jesus. It takes a little more effort to demonstrate it. And yet Paul's call in Philippians 2, both to the early church and to us, is precisely the call to do just that, to, to imitate Jesus, to follow his example, to do what he would do if he were us. And I think it becomes so, so evident in verse 12 as Paul writes, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now so much more in my absence, as you've always done what Christ said to do, uh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And this is Paul's way of saying, keep doing the difficult work of following Jesus. I mean, keep thinking of others first. Keep acting according to those thoughts. Keep following Jesus' example. Imitate him. Take on Christ's mindset. Live like he would live if he were you. Why? Because God is doing his work literally through you to love the world, right? Now, I'll be very honest. Um, if you are anything like me, uh, this particular teaching from this particular section of Scripture um, it's probably like a little intimidating, right? Just a little bit. Anybody, like, did you hear the part about the early church dying for the sick people? Uh, it's just a little intimidating. And because, and why is it intimidating? Uh, it's because I don't think of others first. 
I mean, quite frankly, I don't always even like think before I act. It feels like so much of my life is just on autopilot. I'm doing what everybody else does. And so much of what everybody else does is just like, well, whatever it means to like make me happy. You know, I'm just doing what I do for my own benefit. I'm crossing things off my to-do list. I'm getting my things done. I'm trying to get everything in order so that I can have a really great weekend, you know? Um, anybody else? No. <laughs> But when it comes to thinking of others first, when it comes to following Jesus' example of humility, I'll be honest, I have so much to learn. And I wonder, I mean, what about you? Um, is this an area where some growth is needed? Or is this an area where you say you've, you've learned some things? I mean, and it's okay to say you've learned some things. It's okay to say I need to grow. I mean, honestly, you owe it to yourself to be honest. How are you doing in following Jesus' example of humility? putting others before yourself. I mean, if you'd call yourself a Jesus follower, how are you doing when it comes to imitating his example, when it comes to putting others before yourself? I mean, if I had to guess, I'd imagine because of the country we live in, at the time we live in, I mean, even with the pandemic, it's like we're in the richest country to like ever exist in the world. You know, I go to a refrigerator and I have like multiple choices of cold things to drink. I mean, the level of comfort at which we live, like it would stagger people that just lived 100 years ago. Don't even like go back to 2000 years ago. It's like our whole lives have been oriented around our comfort, our desires, us getting what we want, our needs being met, us having a great time. So I'm not saying, oh, like, oh, it's so bad if you don't think of others first. It literally, it's the sea we're swimming in not to. And yet, the invitation is here to follow Jesus' example and do something drastically different. I mean, I think we probably all have some opportunities to grow in humility. So in the remaining moments we have together, I'd love for us to start to imagine, I mean, what might it look like for us to increasingly embrace humility in our own lives. What, what might this look like for you? What might this look like for me? Um, and I have just a few thoughts. I mean, if we want to practice humility, if we want to improve in our ability to think of others first with more frequency, um, we might start by taking some very small and intentional steps. Right? Real small, intentional steps. Because I don't know if you've heard this before, but small, intentional steps taken in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is how change takes place in our hearts. It starts small. God's Spirit does his work over time. But if there's really like small intentional things that we do, it is incredible what happens is our, our minds and our habits, they start to reform and we come to look more and more and more like Jesus. So small intentional steps. Well, what might some of those look like? Here are some ideas. Um, perhaps... If you want to grow in humility, if you want to start to think more of others and think of them first, uh, it might look like recognizing someone else's accomplishments instead of speaking about your own. Right? It might look like recognizing someone else's accomplishments instead of speaking about your own. You see, in our success-oriented culture, uh, we are so desperate. I'm so desperate. We're all so desperate to have people notice what we've done. We want people to see us, and we want folks to celebrate us. And yet the irony is we can be so, so stingy in extending recognition or praise or applause to others. I mean, what's one way? What would it look like to think of others first? Well, maybe you can notice something that they're proud of. Uh, you can see what they've been working on. You can celebrate their work with them. Okay, that's, that's one idea. Or uh, it, literally, it might look like extending a helping hand when someone needs it. Even though you're tired, even though you just did so last week, 
right? Even though you had planned in your mind to go home and like wrap up and watch whatever show it is you all watch. I don't know what you watch. Um, I mean, opportunities to think of others first, they are all around us. I mean, I think we can do it when we pray. I don't know about you, sometimes I start praying and it's just all about like what I need and what I want and where I'm feeling stressed. I know I told some of you uh, just in the lobby when we were coming in, we got like a house under contract this week, which is really great news, but it now means we're in like that sprint towards a closing date, you know? And so literally all my prayers, they've all just been like, God bless Dino, that's our lender, you can pray for Dino too. Dino, Lord, we gotta work things out with this inspector, we gotta get it all scheduled, right? I mean, and it's so good, my needs, my needs, my needs, but what if I paused? And before it's like praying through my to-do list, it was like, Lord, I mean, who are the people that I met this past week and what's going on in their lives? You know, how could I pray for this person I had coffee with? And I'm pretty sure she told me something about her life. And I actually, I think he mentioned a thing that's going on, right? I mean, there could be humility in our prayers, putting others first when we pray, pausing long enough just to think about who we've interacted with and how we might lift them up in prayer. I mean, opportunities to think of others first are all around us. They're there when we schedule our weeks, while we're looking at our calendars, you know, we can like notice some free times ahead of time and reach out to someone that God's really put on our hearts. Someone that, I mean, as Sam was saying, someone that you can just tell like, man, they could really use a friend this week. This would be a really kind thing. I think this desire or this impulse to reach out to this person, this might be something like the Spirit's doing in my heart. I mean, that's an opportunity for humility. We can establish regular rhythms of volunteering. We can plan events for friends giving them the gift of being invited. We can do this in our budgets. We can do this as we think about our resources and setting some aside to benefit others. We can do this in our closest relationships. I mean, you all know I'm not married. You don't see any rings on these hands, but married people, can you tell me, like, is this difficult sometimes? Sometimes the person closest to you in the world is the hardest person to put first or to think about what they need, right? I mean, it's hard for me with my very dear friends I don't know, I'm just throwing out some ideas, opportunities to think of others first. They are all around us. And they're all around us, and they're different for each of us because all of our lives are different. And because we believe at this church that God through his Holy Spirit speaks to us each individually and personally, uh, I'm gonna like just pause right now for a hot second. And we're just gonna take a moment together to ask God, what is one thing I can do to practice humility this week? Okay, what is one thing I can do to practice humility? This kind of like thinking of others before myself. What's one thing I can do to practice humility this week? And it's just gonna be quiet. And as Chris and Sam said, we can embrace that awkwardness, right? Okay, okay, good. So we can embrace that awkwardness, it'll just be quiet. We're gonna say, God, what's one thing I can do to practice humility this week? And then we're gonna just trust that God might wanna speak to us in this beautiful Shakespeare theater that something might come to mind, uh, that there could be some kind of idea or impulse or plan that he puts in us that would allow us to follow Jesus's example. And so we'll just have a little bit of quiet and then I'll pull us all back together, right? So if you wanna join me in prayer, I'll just introduce us. Oh, Lord, it's good to see you again. We know you've been here with us all morning, but we, we know we need you. And we're relying on you to speak to us now. Lord, we see Christ's incredible example. We feel conviction to follow it. We recognize that it's a great way to live. We want to be more like you, but God, can you bring to mind one way that we can practice humility this week, Lord? One way we can practice humility this week. We're going to be quiet and listen now. God, please speak.
the Spirit brought anything to mind for anyone? If so, that's really awesome. Uh, and can I encourage you to like listen to what the Spirit brought to mind and, and follow through on it this week? Um, and if not, that's all right too. That happens sometimes when we pray. It doesn't mean this is a bad prayer that you were praying wrong. Uh, it just means that it's all right to keep asking, God, what's, what's a way that I can show humility this week? What's a way that I can show humility and practice it this week? And now as we've listened to God together, we've thought about how we might put humility into practice. And as we prepare to leave in just a little bit and like get to the good work of thinking of others before ourselves, I can imagine that some of you have one final question. Uh, you might be just a touch confused. Um, and here's, here's the thing. You might be saying, Tyler, this sounds great and all, and I love it. And like, Jesus is really cool, and those first century Christians sound awesome. But here's the thing I, I can't wrap my mind around, Tyler. Like, I'm confused because I've spent so much of my quarantine learning about self-care. Um, and I'm just like really into it right now. And I don't know if you guys can tell, but like I've had a mask recently. Uh, you know, so it's just like Tyler, like self-care. Uh, I don't know what to do with this call to self-sacrifice, but also like a really big topic that I'm curious about that's been really meaningful to me, this idea of self-care. Because I've like been introduced to this idea and it seems like, yeah, it is good for me to like rest and be healthy and sustained and not lose steam and not burn out. So, so how do I balance this call to humility towards thinking of others first with like this really cool idea of self-care. Uh, well, if that's you, here are a few thoughts. First, I want you to know that if you wanna think of others first without burning out, if you wanna balance self-sacrifice and self-care, the biggest thing that I could encourage you to do is to commit to Sabbath. Uh, commit to Sabbath. Sabbath is this old concept. Uh, it's devoting one day a week to rejuvenating rest with God. And why do I think this is a great idea? It's because this is a practice that Jesus embraced as well. And we said throughout this morning that we would do well to follow his example. So yes, we want to follow his example of humility, of thinking of others first, but we also need to trust that Jesus, who became fully human, knew he needed rest, right? And needed times of recharging and connecting with his heavenly father and with those closest to him. And so if you want to be all about this idea of self-sacrifice and humility and giving yourself away and honoring others and want to do it in a sustainable way, I mean, the best thing that I can think of is to commit to Sabbath. It's what Jesus did, and I am so convinced that it helped sustain his ability to be there for others whenever they needed it as often as he did, right? So that's one idea. Uh, the second is to recognize your limits. Okay, you have limits. I have limits. There's only so much time in the day, there's so much energy in the body, only so much money in the bank, right? There's, there's limits to the extent that we can pour ourselves out for others. And that's all right. I mean, Jesus had limits while he was on earth. There were so many people that he did do great things for, and there's so many other people that just like never even got the chance to meet him, right? And we don't say bad Jesus. It's all right to be limited and finite. Um, if you're like plagued by your limits, and you're thinking, well, I want to do this, but I don't want to burn out, but sometimes I wish I could do more. Here's great advice from a friend of mine that I love. Uh, this friend loves to say, why don't you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? Can you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? You know, I, I wish I was rich enough to buy, like, everybody, you know, dinner. I wish I had all the space in my home to give 10 people, you know, instead of, like, you know what I mean? It's just like, so I wish, I wish, I wish, and it's, that's all right, but how about you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Recognize your limits. Say, I don't have to save the whole world. I just need to be ready to serve those who God has put in my path. 
So commit to Sabbath, recognize your limits, but last and most importantly, a challenge yourself. I mean, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to stay diligent in your pursuit of humility because it is so true, friends. We easily grow complacent. We get satisfied. We get lazy. We settle for second best. But imagine what would happen if we didn't. I mean, just imagine for a moment what would happen if we became a group of people who didn't just claim the name of Jesus, but who imitated him. I mean, who took on his habits and his thoughts and embraced his mindset and thought of other people first. I mean, the truth is, so many people have experienced so-called Christ followers who've had a lot to say about Jesus, but who have not imitated him. I mean, they've heard a message of love without ever feeling it. Uh, they've heard a message of redemption and hospitality without ever experiencing it. I mean, maybe that's your story. I don't know. All I know is we have the chance to do something different. We have the opportunity to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather chose to value others above himself, not looking to his own interests, but to the interests of others. I mean, will it be difficult and costly? Of course. You know, will it require great effort? Yeah, yeah, it's going to require some effort. Uh, because it always takes effort to live out the reality of another, right? But following Jesus' example is so, so, so worth it because it brings life, it brings healing, it brings hope. And Jesus' followers following his example of humility, they changed the world once. And I think we're just crazy enough to believe it could happen again in our city and in our time. So this is our chance, friends. How will you practice humility this week? How will you think of others first? And let's be on this journey together.